M3 is a scalable metrics database originally built to host Uber's rapidly growing data storage from Prometheus. When Rob Skillington was at Uber, he helped design, implement, and deploy M3. And since leaving Uber, he has co-founded a company around a hosted version of M3 called Chronosphere. If you have access to a scalable metrics database, then you might as well start accumulating as much data as possible, right? Well, not exactly. If your company generates enough data, you probably want to turn down the dials of how frequently you save those metrics, and downsampling will reduce the amount of money that you pay for these hosted metrics. You can choose how much to sample. In today's show, Rob discusses the engineering and deployment of M3 and how that work led to him founding Chronosphere, as well as the product offering of the company. I do want to mention I invested in Chronosphere, and if you are building a software tool for developers or some infrastructure product, I'd love to hear about it. I am looking for companies to invest in. You can email me at jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. I'm also looking for writers for Software Engineering Daily. You can send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com, if you're interested in writing for us. And with that, let's get on to today's show. Rob, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jeff. Great to be back. Good to see you in these times. Yes, likewise. And not talking about anything pandemic-related, although I know you are You've been sheltering at home for a while, building a company, building a company from home. So maybe we can get to that a little bit later on. But the subject is M3 and what you're building with Chronosphere. So M3, we've covered in some detail on previous episodes, which is, I think, the boilerplate way to put it is Prometheus scalability. And I would like to spend some time on talking about why Prometheus needs scalability. We, we've covered that in, in, in a lot of depth in the previous episode, and I'm thinking maybe in this episode we can talk more about how to build it as a cloud service and how to how to build the kinds of fault tolerance and scalability that you need to uh, to productize an open source project. So, But let's just start with just a discussion of M3 and rehash some of the monitoring issues that you encountered in Uber and how that turned into an open source product. Yeah, most definitely. It sounds like a, a great set of things to talk about. So just to, re, yeah, to rehash M3 and, and where that started, as, as you said, we have kind of covered this topic before, but yeah, in, in a succinct kind of summary, it really is an open source metric solution that was you know, built out of a need of a growing set of monitoring data being generated from Uber's move from physical servers to containers. And that kind of happened over the course of four and a half years at Uber, the development of M3 and the migration to it from an existing graphite stack. Also, like general Prometheus installations were also kind of um, running in different small pockets of the company at the time as well. And so M3 consolidated all of those different monitoring solutions that the company had into one data plane. And that data plane basically collected metrics in a central place for every every piece of component that the business ran. So, you know, your databases, your containers, but also uh, a whole bunch of what we kind of call business metrics. So things that were needed to be monitors that weren't technically 
you know, performance metrics about the software, but how the API was performing, uh, the kind of responses that it returned, the types of queries and transactions that were happening inside the Uber system itself, and even tracking things like how well the surge algorithm was working in certain geo areas and, and things like that. So, you know, it was really used for a, a pretty much a wide range of things. Definitely helped on rolling out experimentations. And you see Prometheus is being used for all of this in, in uh, the wider ecosystem. And also, you know, because Prometheus works so well on Kubernetes and cloud native, that's why it's, it's, it's also a twofold getting, you know, a whole bunch of uh, attention and popularity. And, and so N3 was really following that train and evolution internally at Uber. And, and then, it, you know, we kind of open sourced it uh, since we really did believe that by centralizing all this data in a, a long-term storage for Prometheus, that was of benefit to the wider ecosystem. And we wanted to work on one system together with other companies rather than reinvent our own wheel and keep it in proprietary land. So. You know that's and then it kind of took off from there, and it's it being the community's community behind it is um, exceptional, and uh, yeah, I, I really love working on it, and super glad to continue working on it, uh, building a, a monitoring company now um, on top of M three. And can you give a little bit of the landscape of alternatives, and just kind of the you know how it compares to sort of the data dogs or the new relics of the world in terms of usability or scalability or cost or I guess just the open source nature of it? Yeah, most definitely. So comparative to uh, solutions like Datadog and other kind of large existing uh, monitoring companies, you know, M3 is uh, purely focused on, I guess, metrics. It has kind of developing integrations with like joining that metrics data to trace data and and things of that nature which we gave a talk on at kubecon in san diego about deep linking metrics and traces uh however yeah it, it is really focused on metrics being at the center of your universe with your monitoring strategy so whereas you know datadog it kind of provides uh logging metrics and traces and you kind of uh, pick and choose which are important to you. So, you know, the way that we think of of monitoring and metrics is that it really is the glue that holds, you know, provides a 10,000 foot view into your system. And so, you know, logs is, is uh, extremely valuable when debugging uh, point in time events, but for, for correlations and for understanding at a high level what's happening, Metrics we feel is the best, and there's a reason why alerts are done on top of metrics. It's because you know metrics has a high signal to noise ratio because you're taking all these events that are happening in the system, you're picking the few that matter out to you, and you are very carefully putting the right tag names and tag values on them so uh, a human can understand you know the volumetric types of things that are happening in the system. So you know huge spike in, in latency, huge tons more CPU being used, more network being used, or if it's you know a certain category of pods all restarting around the same time. So anyway, coming a little bit, circling a little bit back around to, th that was kind of a little bit why we believe metrics is so important, but M3 itself is an open source project and, and yet focused on metrics. Datadog and other typical you know large monitoring companies, I guess they're not really built on an open source solution that they have out there that they're main, you know, working on and improving uh, for the community. 
So, you know, that's something worth thinking about. And then, you know, that there are other monitoring companies out there with their own open source projects as well. However, you know, we are really focused on providing the same level of, of scale than, you know, similar to kind of the um, problems that Uber ran into. And I guess that is kind of what differentiates M3 in comparative to other Prometheus long-term storages. You know, I think that a lot of people that just want um, a long-term storage and they don't care as much about the reliability or the scalability, there are plenty of other options out there. You know, Thanos is, is um, a great open source project, which stores a lot of you know Prometheus metrics in an, uh, a file store. So something like S3 or uh, GCS, that type of project is great for people who don't have a whole lot of like online requirements you know but if you're if you're building things that you want to publish your metrics back into your product so you can imagine you run some software for other people uh, maybe you run a database as a service company and you want to show your customers the CPU utilization and the memory that you know that database uh, is using or how many transactions they're doing stuff like that you want high reliability for that so you want replication you don't want to just be throwing these things into an object store and and kind of relying on you know that type of a, a backend for serving those metrics directly back to your customers so at least that's the way we view it and you know at at uber it it was it was all about the fact that machines move around computers restart and uh we never wanted to take a gap in availability for our end users because we knew that 10 minutes of downtime in our system could mean hundreds of thousands of of people out of work that couldn't use uber so that's kind of where the you know, the high reliability uh, underpinning goals really came from. Um, and that's why we always replicate data at three times and we replicate it immediately. And you can take an outage of any one of your single machines in the pipeline and the, the solution will keep going. So, yeah, it's structured very differently to your, your kind of existing monitoring systems. You know, we really are taking this kind of thing of creating one single primitive that's very, very powerful, similar to how Confluent, you know, work on Apache Kafka, and that is the underpinning of many data uh, pipelines that, that people work on. We think of M3 as the underpinning of, of just doing monitoring and observability and alerting in a scalable, reliable fashion. And uh, so Chronosphere is about providing that to people at that next level of cost efficiency, reliability, and scale using that underlying primitive, but also kind of making sure that that primitive is available for the community to build upon um, as they experiment with their cloud native and and Prometheus deployments. And since starting Chronosphere, has your work primarily been figuring out how to productize this thing or have you also had to develop additional work in the open source project i should say it's been a little bit of of both i will say that you know productizing the work is definitely like what a a large percentage of our time is spent on users don't really want to press a button, get an M3 install and hook up their Prometheus installation to their backend and run Grafana themselves or anything like that. They want an all-in-one solution. You know, If that works 100% compatible with their existing Prometheus installation, that's great. And that's why M3 is, is such a good starting point. So 
that's kind of where they start off at. And why M3 and Chronosphere is great is because it's a very natural transition. In fact, you run both systems in parallel, um, your existing Prometheus installation, as well as piping your data to Chronosphere. However, uh, you know, that is the managed offering. They don't want to continue to run whole, you know, a lot of different infrastructure themselves. In fact, you know, a managed offering has a collector agent, which essentially is deployed as a daemon set in Kubernetes. And if you're running Kubernetes, and it basically takes over, you know, all the uh, active monitoring aspects for you. And, you know, we have our own visualization UI and data source UI. You can plug in Grafana. Uh, and it's, in fact, it, you can definitely use Grafana with, with Chronosphere, the hosted product. Uh, but also, you know, we allow for you to do things in a more managed way, which is like use, use the UI to configure which pods get scraped. Use you know, different strategies for keeping your metrics at different retentions and resolutions. So for instance, part of the power of M3 is that, you know, you can choose to take subsets of your metrics volumes and store them at different lengths of time. So you don't suddenly have to take the fire hose and keep the fire hose around for one year. If you want to look at metrics from a year ago, you know, you can really opt in and whitelist uh, certain things that you care about enough to keep around for a year. And so, you know, this managed platform is about making all that super simple without having to read a whole bunch of YAML files and um, have three SREs uh, splunge around, uh, you know, with your Kubernetes cluster and, and configure everything. But, you know, the power of us starting with M3 is you can start with that type of an installation that you've carefully curated with Prometheus and move that existing deployment over and then piecemeal use the, the some of the nice managed parts um, as much as you might like. You know, a lot of people at least even, you know, start onboarding with us just because they, they want to get out of the the cost and the management overhead of, of their really large Prometheus installation that grew over time is too much. They love Prometheus, but they, they also, you know, would like to have a cost-effective, reliable a scalable backend. That means they can just go starting with it where their business is today. They can go to the scale of Uber if they wanted to, and and still be paying like a linear increase in cost with uh, related to how you know how big their metric volume metric volume is. So let's say you get five thousand new customers in a single day. You just have some amazing day where five thousand new people install the install the agent in a daemon set and uh, start scraping their start scraping a bunch of metrics and and you very quickly have to scale up. Give me some picture for what your backend looks like for how you are hosting all of these M3 instances and how you have tested the scalability of that provisioning system. And this is 100%, you know, what we spend our days doing. Standing up the managed platform was all about making sure we had an isolated um, environment um, per tenant that can ensure that and that scales under the hood without you, you know, needing to any of the specifics. So, you know, kind of the the nuts and bolts of that system and making that making that scale, providing the level of isolation uh, required for all these customers with high end needs uh, has has taken the the core of our focus and you know it's part of that focus of course has bled into us needing to develop more and more m3 features which you know go back into the open community but uh the other the other parts of it is is much more along working out how 
customers engage with the platform and how we react to their scaling needs. So right now we have a model where they can request how many provisioned metrics per second they want to collect. And then, you know, they kind of use a slider to, to set that number. We allow for some amount of burst capability, but overall, you know, the burst capability is limited to a certain uh, time window. And so that way we can provision exactly the right amount of resources uh, underlying right capacity in our M3DB clusters for their workload. So basically it's a mapping of all these provisioned metrics that uh, people have, metrics per second have configured to uh, the retention resolution they want to record it for. Uh, so for how long they want to keep it for and for how fast the uh, sample frequency is. So that underlying metrics per second per tenant all get you know added together and mapped to underlying resources. And then as they adjust those sliders, we essentially work out whether we need to add an extra storage node. And if we do, uh, you know that that essentially is um, what gets what happens in the background. And, you know, if, if a customer exceeds their rate limit, that's when we start to drop some of their metrics and they can choose different ways to do that. So they may say, well, you know, I, I don't want to drop all my metrics when I hit a rate limit. I want to specifically drop some metrics I don't really care about nearly as much. They're just a nice to have. Um, so you can imagine extremely detailed granular stats about a piece of the infrastructure that's really a nice to have, you know, you may want to drop that instead of just randomly drop bits of your metrics because some, you come become um, very reliant on these metrics. You do not want an alert going off just because you had some person at your company on board a whole bunch more metrics because you're dropping random data uh, due to that, that kind of a uh, activity, that, that kind of a change in your system. So, you know, we have a whole bunch of these rate limiters that essentially, uh, can perform things in a smart way to make sure that we're dropping things that aren't going to interrupt your day to day, and so you know, things like that is is uh, receives a large amount of our focus, and even just the routing. You know, we have like a global load balancer, and that depending on like the tenant will route you to at, at least um, certain isolated gateways. They share underlying resources, but they are network isolated and process isolated if you want a deployment that is truly isolated. So we, we do have some extra powerful features for customers that want you know extra isolation. And, and then that's something that's super valuable to them that they can't find in other products. Do you need to make M3 deployable to both GCP and Azure and, or I guess all three major cloud providers, or can you just obfuscate it? Can you just make it on AWS? Does it matter? Yeah, great question. I mean, we are multi-cloud in nature, so this is something that day in, day out is a challenge that we solve. And right now, we're deployed pretty much primarily on Kubernetes. We do have some parts of our stack that are cloud provider aware, but the rest are cloud provider agnostic. And so this is kind of you know a nice side effect of M3 being developed at Uber, where a large amount of the infrastructure was on premise actually for a significant amount of time, is that you know we really are cloud agnostic at the core layers of our offering. We would love actually to add to the open source project a way to kind of like archive 
unused metrics, you know, back into the cloud and, and slowly bring them back in. But that's never been a real priority for us. It's really about, you know, uh, being able to do week over week queries with everything available and super fast response times. So uh, especially when you're doing like anomaly detection and stuff like that, you, you kind of need that level of that level of speed on on historical data. At, but anyway, back to the the implementation of running on top of cloud providers. So yeah, we run on GCP. We also have stacks in uh, AWS. Azure, we have not like we've, we've tested with, we've run a stack there, but uh, we currently don't have any customers that really uh, want a production environment in Azure. But we welcome whoever, uh, you know, if, if that's something you want to try out, I would love to talk to you. But in terms of the complexities of running, even just in GCP and AWS, it really comes down to, for us, the gateway and the load balancer that gets you to our Kubernetes cluster. Because AWS and GCP are very different load balancer options. And for instance, like GCP um, has a global HTTPS load balancer uh, that can do SSL termination for you. So that's that's pretty fantastic. You know, we can actually rely on GCP's underlying infrastructure to provide general ingress for you know whether a collector runs in any part of the world and it and it kind of showing up correctly in in the cluster that that we run their stack in. And that's something that with AWS is is uh, is a little bit harder. There's we use gRPC for all of our uh, collector end-to-end publishing of metrics um, from your agent that runs wherever you are. So you could be in Azure or AWS or GCP and you run your collectors there. They use gRPC to push metrics data to our backend. And so on AWS, there's an HTTPS load balancer, but it's only compatible with with HTTP 1. So I think it's something about the uh, HTTP. It does support HTTP 2, but trailers are broken. And that's like the trailing headers that are returned. The problem with that for us is that, that you know, we gRPC uses that feature for certain st- streams and other kind of features like bi-directional streaming and stuff like that. So yes, we have to do L4 load balancing in AWS and, and kind of do our own SSL uh, termination there ourselves using Envoy. So yeah, it's it, those kind of nuances, you know, they seem like the same thing, both cloud providers, but Kubernetes, you know, is just such a fantastic compute platform and it, it really spoils you when uh, you have to dig into using a resource that is is not cloud agnostic, like a load balancer. And, you know, all these nuances show up and, and you kind of have to work on top of that and, and abstract over them and fill in the little gaps here and there uh, with your own kind of setup. You talked a little bit about the kinds of modulation of, of metrics and sampling and what you might want to store, like how many metrics or you might want to be storing and how you can optimize for that. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that gets modulated or like, like if I'm, let's say I'm, I've given my developers like free reign over how many metrics they want to store and how much data they're storing. And then all of a sudden my costs start to ramp up. Do you just have some dial that they can tune to automatically constrain those in an intelligent way? And this is something that comes up again when you're getting to that next level of scale with Prometheus. 
as, as even just in generics and gen, uh, metrics in general, whether you're using Prometheus or Datadog or you know uh, another existing vendor, a lot of people don't give you any controls in this space. So a lot of the time, you know, it ends up being, and I've seen this at Uber before we put in these controls, and and I've heard a lot of this as well from other uh, end user customers where suddenly they're paying. 20, 30% more in their bill just after, you know, seven, 14 days um, into a month because of a deployment here, a deployment there, a feature turned on here or there. And really they're at the mercy of going back to that team, asking that team, uh, do they need do they need that much? And asking them to go and spend engineering time to either be more cost-effective with the metrics they're using or develop special configuration files that will let you drop some of those metrics. You know. And there's really no tools to actually tell you which ones are the ones that are you know hurting you. You can perform certain queries. I can use the count Prometheus function to count like how many time series are, are underlying behind a certain metric name and stuff like that. But how do you even know which metric names to be looking at? There's a few tools out there uh, that are community supported, but none of them really let you get to the bottom of it quickly. So we have a metrics profiler that we offer in our uh, user interface that lets you actually you know, view the topmost, the, the, basically the metric names that are appearing the most frequently and hence have the most underlying time series data underneath them. And we also let you actually see what also in the current data set you're viewing, what metric labels are on them. So basically the dimensions on the metric themselves and uh, what the unique cardinality values of those are. So this lets you very quickly understand, oh, this dimension on this metric causes my entire thing to go boom. And so, you know, from the UI, you can also pivot and start to drop uh, metrics that match a certain pattern on any one of those um, labels. So, you know, without any code changes, without having to go back to a team and ask them to do engineering work, without having to involve some SREs to look at some configuration files I might not know about, you can very quickly uh, start to come back under budget. And you can even have those predefined rules like I told you about where, you know, you may just start dropping them immediately once you go over your budget. So you have these tools at your disposal to both rank priority of the metrics that are on the way coming uh, in on the way into this uh, the managed platform, but also to turn them off or to start to keep them like a longer retention so and resolution. So I might I might opt to take some of my metrics and instead of you know keeping them for basically sampling them every ten seconds and keeping a data point every ten seconds, I I might want a, a data point every thirty seconds or sixty seconds, which would three x or six x reduce the rate of samples appearing. So. You know, there's those kind of tools in our UI that that are kind of fundamental. And there's also, you know, some other things we're looking at, like basically letting you cost back to your underlying teams. So we may, you know, sync with your your user directory. And uh, if you're using SSO with us and do things like map certain metrics back to, to those teams. So you could do kind of cost accounting very clearly and delineate, you know, who is actually using all those metrics, which... Uh, with all the vendors that we've we've used as these kind of organizational features are not readily available. And, you know, we've lived the pain through this before, so we kind of fully understand why these features are important and, and what 
people spend their time doing when when you know they're they're inundated with the amount of data or the cost or the spend or that kind of thing the usage of both metrics and traces as you mentioned before you discussed this a little bit in the kubecon talk that you gave but i'd love to know a little bit about tactics for how somebody using prometheus or just more specifically using m3 how can metrics and traces be used together? So I think the uh, what's super interesting here in the tracing space is you know you talk about sampling, and sampling is a really really uh, large problem. In fact, it's caused uh, certain amounts of people to to build infrastructure that tries to keep all the the uh, trace data for a hundred percent for a certain amount of time and let you you know see all the all the trace data. The reason why it's such a, an issue is that metrics gives you a volumetric view of things. So you can see the P99 or your outliers and latency and that kind of thing. Whereas, and that's great to kind of to get an idea at a high level of what's happening. But if you want to drill down into what one of those 95th percentile requests look like, you're only going to get that if, if that trace got if there was a trace that fell into that bucket when it got sampled and even with the most sophisticated sampling algorithms out there and uber had developed some some really interesting ones but fundamentally it can never guarantee you that you'll get a, uh, a trace there so you know that that's a large thing that requires something like tail-based sampling and tail-based sampling is holding everything in memory or at a, it's in some place at f- full fidelity and then selecting the ones that are interesting to you uh, at the end of a selection criteria. So you can imagine that like for a minute you hold all these raw traces and then you work out, okay, this trace actually fell into the 99th percentile. I want to keep that one. So tail-based sampling solves this problem, uh, and but it turns out tail-based sampling is really hard to do, not just for the infrastructure required to hold on to all those traces, but actually the the selection criteria. So I just talked about how metrics gives you a great idea of what the 99th percentile of a certain occurring request volume is, but you really want to link that in with the trace that, that fell into that bucket. And so we have this piece of infrastructure in M3 called the M3 aggregator. And that's something that, you know, none of the other open source projects in the space that that are compatible with Prometheus provide at all. In fact, yeah, a lot of the metric vendors don't really have anything like this either. And it's it's basically a way that we do streaming computation on the metrics on the way in before they are uh, go to our long-term you know, uh, M3 database. A lot of open source users today kind of stand up the database first and then then they kind of look at the aggregation tier because it is another set of infrastructure you might need to run. And if you don't want to run it yourself, Chronosphere is a great option for that. But fundamentally, this aggregation tier, because it can do computation on the way as metrics arrive in volumetric quantities, we can select, okay, of this full set of operations we saw arrive in a 10 second window or a one minute window, this one trace ID we know fell into the 99th percentile. So now we can pull that out of our tail-based holding pattern and select that trace for storage um, in M3. So that's, you know, we kind of demoed, we have a demo of that um, that we built for 
for QCon San Diego, and we we demoed that during our talk. So you can find the talk and look at the demo. And there's actually an open source repository with the demo code in it. That's actually using a whole bunch of open source utilities along with Prometheus, but you know, it's it's still kind of hard for this to run yourself. And, and that's why we are kind of running it internally at, at Chronosphere for people. And it's a great thing to have, but it takes a, a fair amount of infrastructure setup as well as configuration to, to pull off. But fundamentally, you need something that can tell you in real time, you know, uh, which thing to select. And that works at scale. Most of these other existing solutions is all about flowing something into some huge database and doing you know, some kind of computation on it later. That really doesn't work at scale. When you're talking about millions of samples already coming into these pipelines, you need to do something like streaming aggregation, like the metrics aggregator. And and we've found that to be useful for a whole bunch of other use cases as well. And there's a term deep linking. What does it mean to deeply link metrics and traces? So for... Many people, what linking metrics to logs and to traces looks like is basically on a graph where you have existing metrics, if there's a container label, so some ID that represents the the container name, and a few other things like the cluster it was in, etc., the linking that happens typically is that you take all of those labels that was on your metric and your dimensions, then you go search your tracing system and say, hey, around this time with these type of labels, do you have anything on the trait? Like, do you have any traces essentially? And so that's not great for a variety of reasons. For instance, this problem, which we're talking about with, with P99 tail-based sampling, you know, you, you won't really know that a request that was processed by that container actually well, it fell into the 99th percentile. That container might have processed a thousand requests and only one of them was the slowest. Uh, so doing the search by labels and matching traces with your metrics is not in our eyes linking at all. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's really correlation and, and uh, it's a way of reaching into your bag of traces and hoping that it lines up. It also relies on you to label and annotate your traces the exact same way that you're doing your metrics, which depending on what you're using won't, you know, won't always happen. And so what we do with, with our deep linking is actually similar to what Google is doing with Monarch. And this is only available to developers inside of, of Google, unfortunately. Um, Monarch is a system that basically puts the IDs of the certain traces next to their metric values. And, and this is because Monarch has a streaming aggregation metrics aggregator similar to, um, to M3. So essentially what ends up happening is you, you send all the trace IDs along with all the metrics. Uh, so every single metric you increment, you're sending the corresponding trace ID to an aggregation layer. And then that aggregation layer, when it prints off, okay, this was the value for the 99th percentile for this 10 second time window, it chooses just one trace ID to correspond and make sure that it, are, it is written to your time series database next to it. So now when you have a data point that you're viewing in a graph, you can click on that data point and it actually has basically the UUID of the trace or 
other unique identifier depending on how you're identifying traces. And you can go in O1 time to that trace in the other system. It's not searching by labels. It's not trying to do fuzzy matching on, on the metadata of the metrics versus the, the trace data. It literally will just go, here's the exact trace I want to see and kind of pull that up in your trace provider. So that's what we're talking about there with deep linking. So you mentioned Monarch from Google. Are, are there any other lessons from monitoring at Google that you've been able to import into Chronosphere or just uh, maybe monitoring from even Facebook? I don't know, conversations you've had with some of these other advanced companies. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you know, when we were developing M3, um, you know, we caught up with the Gorilla developers at Facebook. We, you know, we developed M3 TSZ, which is very similar to TSZ which is essentially extra special float compression. You know, you can get like 11x compression ratios on on float data using TSZ. And, you know, we're very thankful that exists. That was a huge breakthrough. And I think the, the Facebook engineers deserve huge credit for that. What's interesting now, though, is that apparently, you know, these systems are all in memory, whereas M3 and, and Uber was very expensive to run these in memory. So we very quickly pivoted to trying to store them on disk. You know, we needed to shrink our overall spend and infrastructure to a small number because, you know, we needed to use our hardware effectively. But anyway, so we, we used to catch up with the fa- uh, Facebook folks. We also caught up with folks at Netflix and, you know, the, the, the Atlas engineers. And actually, funny, you might mention Monarch. I mean, uh, actually, the one of the co-authors of M3DB with me, um, Shi, Shi Chen, he actually works on Monarch as one of their most senior engineers now uh, at Google. So not everyone left to, to work on Chronosphere. You know, there, there's some that are still there doing great things with M3 at Uber. And then there's also people like Shi that are now um, using, you know, his skills and, 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 and great talent to, to make Monarch better at Google. So yeah, the, you know, we pulled on a lot of different things and... You know, I, we, we kind of catch up actually still regularly with some of the engineers at, at the companies I just mentioned, and we keep in touch. You know, it's it's a pity that in some ways that we, you know, we're the first ones to to find the time to actually open source this project in a way that's consumable and and um, others can use out outside of a tech company. We're just glad to to have been given the opportunity, and you know, I never really thought that when when we were scaling the solution for. For Uber, that there would be you know large payment companies or what else have you? We're all running this code now, so it's it's definitely been quite a, a transition, but it's exciting. You know, I think that every time I wake up and I have Slack messages or tweets uh, telling them that telling me that someone you know has like has a small like issue with M three and they love me, you know, they just need like a little bit of help or or they want to tell me how you know. Uh, I love criticism. So like them telling me what sucks about M3 for their use case, you know, I, I, it really is refreshing to be like, hey, this is something that's going out into the universe that is letting people solve the same problem in a similar way that we can all contribute to rather than, you know, these different solutions that are glued and, and or sometimes together at, at different proprietary lands. And it's really hard to... Um, uh, piece piece together systems. I, I, I'm all about engineering. My granddad was a civil engineer. I love engineering. I think that we need more primitives, you know, for our uh, what we're doing today. I think that, 
you know, things like M3 and Open Metrics, which I'm a contributor to, just really lay this groundwork for, hey, how do we build and monitor systems? How do we write software that can be monitored? How do we build rollback systems that order rollback our deployments so we can move fast, break things, but then immediately recover? You know, I think it's really the way what we're doing here, not not just us, what the whole like open source community is doing and what everything else is happening in this monitoring space is changing the way that we develop software. We can monitor things we never could monitor before. We monitor first, think later. It's not like a black, you know, when something goes wrong, because we monitor first and and look at the data later, because we have the tools and the cost-effective ability to do that, it's not like we're poking around in a, a dark room anymore. We can see what's in the room. And, you know, I, I just think that it's... It, the, the fundamental changes, we talked a lot, we deep dived on a lot of topics here, but what at the meta level is happening is just software is becoming way more way more of a, uh, a white box and or an open box and transparent box that we can see. That's fantastic. Cool. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to, to catch up. Yeah, most definitely. It's fantastic for being here. And thank you uh, so much for the opportunity to speak again. And yeah, it's been... We've definitely had a busy time since we last caught up, so it was it was great to kind of get a chance to to see uh, you're doing well, and and uh, hopefully one of these times again we might run into each other at a conference, but probably won't be any time too soon, I suppose. All right, Rob, good talking. <laughs>